All right, let's go ahead and get started. <laughs> Looks like everybody's uh, running a little bit late today. <laughs> All right. Um, so chapter five is, is a fun one, yet there's lots of tests and trials. Um, does anybody have any uh, comments or, or stories that they'd like to share about how they let God prevail in their lives this week? Or um, possibly any lessons uh, or, or things that you learned from Abraham this week that seem to really apply into um, the Abrahamic covenant, uh, changing your life in, in any way, shape, or form. Just like to open that up for first comments and, and things. Um, I know that reviewing this chapter was was huge for me uh, this week, really uh, focusing in on on my individual tests and trials and and learning to be grateful uh, for them, um, even though sometimes we kind of get mired down in um, the, the hardness of the trial at, at any given time. It, it's always good and important to, to look at Abraham's example of of how to persevere and, and be grateful throughout all of our, our different trials and circumstances. Um, anybody have anything that they'd like to share just right off the bat? If not, we'll dive in. Just love the chapter and I'm, I'm glad we're doing this because it helps me to bring perspective back into what has been an extremely busy time in my life. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, it's just getting busier and busier all the time. I'm sorry, Cameron, I missed your question because my computer was not playing any audio. Your mouth was moving and no sound was coming out. Oh, sorry. Um, yeah, okay, so just kind fault. of starting off each class with um, just examples or stories that you'd like to share of how you let God prevail this week or uh, interesting tidbits from the chapter that um, that you've implemented or things that you've learned from Abraham that help you through your Abrahamic tests, just kind of how does this book bless your life? Um, any examples from this week? I'll, I'll share a little bit, Cameron. You know, uh, I think I've told you guys I teach drama at the high school. Mm -hmm. We are in the middle of a large musical. Um, we've done four nights and we'll be doing six nights this week we'll not six nights we'll be doing five nights in a matinee anyway we have one of the boys in our group that is particularly struggling right now um and he's one of the leads we switch leads every other night and he's one of the leads so as i helped him put on uh his makeup the other night i started visiting with him about the book. Um, his family's very active and I knew that I, I said something to him about what was he reading and then I told him what I was reading and expressed some of the, the trials Abraham was going through because he, he's going through a few of his own right now. And, uh, um, and I could get fired for what I've done, but that's okay. We, uh, had a joint prayer backstage. <laughs> and then we had a group prayer with the whole group before we begin, which we've always done. But uh, with him and I, we had we had an individual prayer and I encouraged him to get a blessing from his father. And uh, it was really fun because uh, he related quite a bit when I could talk about Abraham and, and some of the things that Abraham had gone through and, 
And uh, so it's been, it's been nice to be able to share what I'm learning a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. I, I love that. Yeah. I hope his dad gives him his blessing today. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, not that, well, I guess it's kind of related to, to this and stuff, but like, I was thinking the other day, when's the last time that I've had a blessing? I, you know, like I, I've given a few and stuff, but I don't know. It's the last time, I think it was like maybe four or five years ago. Like for some reason, I don't know. Some of us just kind of keep trucking along and, and kind of forget that that extra help is there and, and offered all the time. And I don't know, <laughs> I was just thinking uh, the other day that, man, I really need to, to request a blessing and, and just kind of refocus and, and uh, hear the word of the Lord through uh, another servant kind of thing. I think that's, that'll help me and, and also help the other person giving the blessing to, uh, to exercise the priesthood and, and things. I don't know. Uh, that was just something that I was uh, thinking about this, this last week. Um, how non-frequent I, I ask for, for priesthood blessings kind of a thing. Um, so yeah, diving into um, this section is, is, so fun. There's there's lots of different avenues to, to go here. Um, it'll be interesting to see how this group uh, goes different than, than group A. Um, but starting off, I'd like to kind of jump ahead in the uh, this chapter onto page 116. I, I loved this part about the test of the lion's couch. Um, so just pulling up that, that facsimile really quick of Abraham's lion's couch. Um, do, do, do. So here we so, see, oh, sorry, I had an echo all of a sudden where <laughs> I heard my own voice and I interrupted myself. <laughs> sorry about that. Um, so here we have uh, Abraham's facsimile number one, and he's on the altar in Ur, as we found out and, and studied that chapter, um, but he's lying on an, a lion's couch. And then here in... Um, Fast forwarding to their trials in Egypt, Sarah also has the test of the lion's couch. And um, 116, in between footnotes 97 98, it has uh, a quote from Hugh Nibley that Sarah's trial can be described as the test of the lion's couch for the royal bed, like the royal altar on which Abraham had once lain, was a lion's couch. This trial placed Sarah in jeopardy of her very life. And so I, I really got thinking from the first time that I read this book, the, the more and more that I've pondered on, on Abrahamic tests and how we each receive Abrahamic tests. It's interesting to note how uh, the, the patterns that the Lord uses with tests. And so um, that they both had a test that was a lion's couch test was intriguing to me as I, I started studying and pondering on things. So um, I was thinking, what well, have I had a lion's couch test or will I uh, yet experience a, a lion's couch test? And I got thinking, well, what is the lion's couch test? What, what does that look like? Was it both, I mean, was it the same outcome for both Abraham and Sarah, their lion's couch test. And, and it seems to, to really fit kind of a pattern. So I was looking through the, the first five major tests that we see with Abraham here. And, and uh, 
we see that um, the lion's couch test is all about choosing the harder path. So they're offered, it, like with Abraham, he's offered the opportunity to recant his testimony to um, deny the, the true and living God and, and bow down and worship Nimrod, but he chooses the harder path. And then Sarai in Egypt is also choosing the harder path. She could have been wooed by uh, Pharaoh and, and gained the riches of the kingdom, become queen of Egypt, yet she chose to remain faithful to her covenants to her husband and, and chose the harder path uh, that's going to be filled with, with lots of adversity and tests and trials and things. And so um, looking through Abraham's test, we have the test of the axe or um, the, uh, the idol uh, story that we have earlier on in the book where he casts down the idols and puts the axe in one of the idols hands and blames it on him kind of as a, an affront to King Nimrod. Uh, but that one is, is about choosing good versus evil and standing up for the things that you believe in. The test of fleeing idolatry to get out of Ur, giving up false traditions or any type of idolatry that's weighing us down, um, that is keeping us from, from progressing. That, that test of fleeing is, is huge. The, the test of famine that they experienced in Haran, um, the flexibility in unknown circumstances to grow spiritual or spiritually. Um, or physically. Uh, I, I think that that famine is, is a huge uh, test that will be coming upon us as, as saints in, in the latter days here, coming up pretty quickly, I would, I would assume. But um, will we be able to be flexible in, in all those circumstances? And will we have the, the strength and, and guidance needed to, to physically and spiritually survive those, those famines? And then the, the test of Egypt that we find out here in this chapter, um, that Abraham blesses those that curses him, that, I mean, he could have let Pharaoh just wallow in his, um, in his plagues and, and evil spirits, yet he chooses to, to bless um, Pharaoh and, and look at the outcome of, of that. So I think that each of the different Abrahamic tests, as we go from now throughout the rest of the book, uh, we start looking at the different Abrahamic trials and tests that they are experiencing, both him and Sarah, and how they apply to our lives and our, our individual tests. And so um, that's why the, the homework assignment, I, I think, was is a huge help to open my eyes to my individual tests and try to map them out, how they relate to Abraham's tests and what blessings and promises might I be receiving, but it's just not readily apparent. I, I have to do a little bit of digging to, to see those blessings and, and promises that they're tied to specific uh, tests that we go through. Um, I'd like to uh, share a video uh, real quick. It's a, like a five minute video about uh, Abrahamic tests. Um, does anybody have any comments before we go into that, that video um, on their homework assignments or, or the Abrahamic tests that or promises of the Abrahamic covenant that you've uh, had experience with this week uh, as you were reading this book and, and diving into that? If not that, that's totally fine. We'll, we'll dive into the video. Um, all right, so this one is on um, the, it's put out by the church. It was on the, the Mormon channel prior to the renaming and everything, um, but, uh, can everyone hear that good? Okay. 
My plan for my life was to have a child every two years. I had that mapped out. I was gonna have a kid every two years. I didn't know how many. I wanted a big family. So we had a boy first, and then two years later, another boy. And uh, at 22 months old, we found um, a tumor. Suddenly we were thrown into a whole different world, a world I didn't even know existed. And we were thrown into the medical world, into surgery, into the hospital, into chemotherapy. I had my daughter right before we found his tumor, one week before we found his tumor. He had this rare disorder. I'd never heard of it. You know, there was nothing more that could be done. He did pass away at home. In the meantime, we had another son. It started with my daughter. She got um, bone cancer on her rib. My husband got thyroid cancer. And then he got Burkitt's lymphoma. I've never seen chemotherapy that tough. Drew got bone cancer, just like his sister. It was more intense this time. And then Andrea got cancer from her chemotherapy. She needed a stem cell transplant. My husband was diagnosed with the same thing as my daughter. Andrea recovered very quickly. Drew kept getting bad news and bad news and bad news, you know. My son passed away three weeks before my husband. Um, I began to think, Maybe I couldn't do this. You know, maybe I wasn't strong enough. You know, I began to think that I might fail, but the Lord was not gonna allow me to fail. And I know that that's not unique to me, that he does that for everybody. It's not always about us. Like we're not going through this because we need to change or we're not good enough. I, I became someone you know, more capable of, of helping others and of having compassion and of understanding at an intimate level, you know, what other people go through. And I found a great deal of joy in using the things that I've learned um, to help other people, especially families who have children with cancer. One of my missions in life is to comfort others who are going through cancer. And that, you know, I know how to do it because I've been through it. It's like, to me, it's like Newton's law. For every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. Equal and opposite. So I think the greater our sorrow is, 
the greater our capacity is to feel joy. I've been surprised. I, I feel a great deal of tenderness toward my savior because he really is so sweet. He really does provide what you need. I love um, Elder Cook's quote here, that the refiner's fire is real. The qualities and character and, and righteousness that are forged in the furnace of affliction perfect and purifies us and prepare us to meet God. I, I find that video, um, it, it's on my to-do list every um, a couple months. I, I love going back and, and resonating with the truths that are, that are taught there. Cameron, did, did she lose all of her little kids and husband both mm -hmm. yeah. in that? How many children were there? I couldn't keep up with the whole thing. <laughs> no, I, I don't even know. That's you would just, think I would know after how many times I watched it, but, but yeah. That so is just, it makes my little trials look little. My goodness. Yeah, I've never had medical issues or trials like that, um, but my my heart just goes out to to those people that that deal with these really heart wrenching, uh, dramatic uh, trials as well. But in the same token, the same light, we each have our own trials that are testing us and, and purifying us in equally strong ways. Um, I. The, the principle that she talked about there, where it's kind of like Newton's law, where for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. I, I'm i a chart person, you all know. Um, so it, it, it's kind of like this, and this is explained in Isaiah Decoded as well, the, um, this kind of chart thing, that in order to experience joys, we can't just be at the baseline here. Uh, it, it's a, a springboard type of um, law. Uh, it, it's an eternal law that we have to dive deep in order to be raised on high. And so the, the greater our sorrow, the, the greater our capacity to feel joy. And, and how true that is through the Abrahamic tests and trials that we are, are going to be faced with uh, now and, and in the future, um, personally and as a church. I think that that's such an important principle that we often overlook or or talk about uh, tongue-in-cheek in the church you know never pray for for patience because you'll you'll get tried in that and and, and so forth but I, I think that that's the whole crux of everything we we need to be praying for these things we need to be seeking after our abrahamic tests in order to to learn and grow and prove ourselves here with um just like abraham he he was seeking the, the right blessings, and so the, the Lord was pro providing him these, these tests and trials in order to, to overcome and, and to grow spiritually, much like we uh, uh, grow our physical muscles by, by strenuous exercise and, and, and that um, endurance. Uh, so we need to, to grow our spiritual muscles to, to do the same. And, and like uh, Elder Cook on the end of that video there, it says it's, it's to purify us and prepare us to meet God. 
Um, that, that's our end goal is to meet God, whether in this life or in the next. Um, anyway, um, I, I hope that, that that homework assignment was was handy and useful and, and enlightening for you to, to look at your individual trials that you've experienced thus far and see how they relate to the Abrahamic covenant and pulling those specific blessings into your life. Um, I, I found that very helpful for me as I was studying chapter five and looking at Abraham's tests uh, here and and everything. Anyway, um, I, so like this, I like the symbolism <clears throat> uh, that the refiner this whole time he's working on something and mm -hmm. I'm curious to see what he comes up with and it's he's he's be be this beautiful rose he's uh, molded there. Mm -hmm. So if we can apply that to the outcome of our trials, I think it'll help us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you. Um, so let's dive into um, the, the chapter, just kind of front to back here. So what interesting things and, and concepts and principles did you learn from the first section here about the famine? That, that forced them out of Haran and, and down southern to, to Egypt? Well, Cameron, I, I've been really um, thinking about this because I, like you, think that this is something we could be facing right away. And uh, without the snow, I mean, I don't know how you guys are up there, but we are way, way low. It could be a bad, bad year and several bad years and and we're in big trouble. Mm -hmm. But uh, I kind of almost think that famine might be one of the harder trials to go through. You know, if you go through a trial and you're the one that's suffering, you deal with it. You find your strength and you deal with it. But to watch other people die of starvation has got to be a pretty tough thing to do, to see other people going through it. And especially, now I know Abraham didn't have children yet, but I'm sure there were children in the group. I think that would be really, really a tough one to go through that trial. And I looked at that and I thought, wow, okay. It had to get bad if they were told to go to Egypt. Although I know the Lord had a purpose in taking them to Egypt, obviously, but it had to be really bad before everybody would agree, okay, we're going to Egypt for food, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, the other one that I thought was very, very interesting is when they get to the border in Egypt. And I'm sure there were many, many, many people trying to go to Egypt because that's where the food was, you know. And when they get to the border in Egypt, I thought that was a very, very interesting section of the book uh, because I never even thought of them having customs in those days going through a customs <laughs> situation. <laughs> but he obviously was bringing a large group through and would have been um, watched carefully had he... Had, it would have been an interesting situation there. Mm -hmm. Anyway, that's getting a little ahead of where we are now. But I, but I thought, I thought that famine thing had to be pretty bad for everybody to pick up and decide to go to Egypt. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, for sure. Um, like it says on uh, page 108, if the famine in Ur had been sent to vindicate Abraham, this one was sent to bless him. But um, uh, God purposely refrained from telling Abraham to go to Egypt, but allowed him to go of his own accord. That this was all a blessing in disguise, but but yeah, it had to be pretty bad in order to pick up and, and move, kind of a thing. Like think about that in our day. Like say that there's a, a huge famine in uh, most of us or Idaho, Utah, kind of thing here. Uh, like uh, we just have to pick up a move because there's literally no food, and we have to go to where the food is. Like that, that's a huge trial and, and thing, and you're seeing people die and uh, uh, starvation. In the other group, we talked about um, kind of the price of our soul. Like in, in that kind of a circumstance, there it would be hard if somebody was uh, willing to, to give us mo uh, money or food uh, in order for, uh, in exchange for, for our soul, if we uh, take on the mark of the beast or, or whatever uh, happens in the future with, with the Antichrist and all the different things that happen, you know, like starvation is, is a huge one uh, are you willing to to let your your children or, or young ones suffer um uh, if if you can if this this test is presented before you just deny christ and 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 we'll give you your food and sustenance kind of thing like of course that, that that's going to be a, a huge trial that that faces the the saints in the future and um are we are we going to take abraham's example are we going to premeditate what our our thoughts and actions are going to be in scenarios like that. I think that was an interesting uh, part of this chapter to, to really look to Abraham for advice and, and the pattern that we should follow. But if we have followed the prophets and we are prepared, mm -hmm. we, we can't, our children won't suffer. They may, um, they won't starve to death. They may not have, the foods they like, they may not enjoy mm -hmm. all of it, but if we are prepared, if we followed what the prophet says, we can avoid some of the actual trials. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then uh, going on to like page 107, I, I love this uh, halfway down the page that says, in good times and bad, Sarah constantly lived the law of Zion, faithfully maintaining that unity of heart that is always Zion's crowning virtue. I just want to spend a couple of minutes on, on the topic of unity. What does that mean to you and to, to us as the church as we are striving for unity? How difficult is that to, to achieve this day and age when, when Satan is just using all sorts of tactics to break us apart and divide us? Um, any testimonies about unity or uh, examples uh, that, uh, or just insights and, and things into unity? Uh, what, what do you all have? Well, I think that we're going to have to be unified if we're going to become Zion, right? We have to. And I think that's one of the reasons why Satan is working so hard. Um, and in the church, what do we have? What are some of the issues that we have? The masks right? To mask or not to mask, to take the vaccine, to not take the vaccine. And then you have the political divisions in the world and in the country, as well as in the church, because they're there on both sides, right? Mm -hmm. and, and so you have all of these different factors that are here to break us apart and to keep us thinking it's us versus them, 
and and to make it so that we can't be unified in an attempt to thwart our becoming Zion. Mm -hmm. And we have to see past that and see past any difference of opinion that we might have with other members and try to see them the way Christ does. And I think if we can do that, then we can, that gets us on that path to unity. Even if we don't agree with everything they, they think we can then be unified in Christ. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you so much because that, that's a huge, um, uh, part right before we're heading into COVID and stuff, uh, the church was really doing the um, uh, uh, religious freedom initiative and, and things like that, trying to get that out. How to how to disagree without being disagreeable? How to to stand up for truth and righteousness? Yet um, here, genuinely here, are our fellow brothers and sisters uh, on this world that that might disagree with us. We can, we can have disagreements, but we still need to be unified. We don't have to think alike, but we do have to um, be loving and kind and, and Christ-like all throughout the, the process. Um, mm -hmm. There's, you know, many stories of, uh, you know, the, the 12 that uh, throughout the years that, you know, they disagreed on, on certain things, you know, Benson and Brown has quite the, the thing, even over the pulpit, they were calling each other out on, on certain doctrines. Yet they were still unified when it came down to their their love for each other and, and the love for Christ. They were a unified uh, body of brethren. Um, uh, you know, I, I've tried to find the actual source on this, but there was one time that uh, an apostle was called and it was his first meeting. And it was just kind of an all out debate on on a certain topic. And, and President Hinckley sent down a note or whatever. It says, welcome to the 12. Here we play hardball. <laughs> kind of thing like... <laughs> we can have disagreements yet when when it comes down to it we still need to be able to have discourse and, and things um with love even through um disagreements that, that we might have because as one person sees the world in in one way uh, the other person might see it in a different way uh, the the illustration of the six men of Indistan comes to mind Uchtdorf has shared that in one of his talks where, where one is holding the tail and one is holding the, the trunk and one is holding the tusks and, and they're all experiencing things in a completely different way and manner. Everybody has their own Abrahamic tests and yet we all need to come together and be unified so that we can actually build the Zion that, that's in front of us. The, the law of synergy is, is huge in, in doing that as well. That, you know, one person can accomplish X amount of, of, of things, but uh, two people working on the same project can accomplish infinitely, um, uh, I'm wording that wrong, uh, a, a much greater uh, thing than if one was just working by himself or, or if the two were working separately on, on projects that when they come together, the law of synergy really amplifies and expounds um, the, the outcomes. And so as we're building Zion, we're obviously going to need to all put our shoulder to the wheel and, and work together in unity in order to, to build this magnificent city of, of love and righteousness and charity, uh, perfect Christ-like love. It, it's kind of a daunting task when, when we think about it, but our Abrahamic tests are all pointing us that direction, how to do that, um, that learn and grow in, in that. I, I think that that's a huge principle, that unity. Any other 
thoughts on, on unity before we move on? Cameron, I just think that there are times when if it doesn't matter, you don't have to talk about those things. <laughs> and, I mean, I am I'm definitely politically on one side of the spectrum and two of the people I work with and spend most of my time with are on the opposite side. And um, we just don't talk about them. Mm -hmm. And after one election that was pretty difficult, I just said to them, hmm, guys, you, I survived the last eight years. I'll bet you'll survive the next four years. <laughs> since then, we have not discussed it. And it's been a good thing. <laughs> yep, <laughs> exactly. I have something just, you know, finding, always seeking to find common ground. And um, when we find common ground with another, then we can um, find it easier to understand a person and to and and love each other and then we can support each other you know and build a, a relationship from that common ground so I think that's important thing it is a tricky tricky thing when we are asked to unify with family and neighbors when there is um even um, the way their, pers their perspective is following or, or seeing something good that's actually evil. And that's what's tricky because we're also told to be truth tellers. And when we see that something has um, particular harm, you know, like, even when things go on a communistic um, side, which we know the church isn't gonna support, but many loved ones of mine and dear friends of mine don't see it that way. It it's, makes it really tricky because um, maybe they haven't seen it yet or they are blinded to it or they think of it as actually good, you know, because right now, the way propaganda is and the narrative is, it makes um, what is evil look good. And so many can be deceived that way, you know? So yeah. that's extra hard is when um, we're supposed to be uni unified and yet we don't wanna unify ourselves with the dark and the evil. Yeah. So that's very tricky. And um, I just came across a section, a verse in the Doctrine and Covenants, and I can't remember what section or verse it was, but it did say there is a time when we do contend, and that is when there is evil. So um, other than that, Christ does not like any kind of contention, and we cannot grow, and the light is diminished when there's contention. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, very good points to, to bring out there. Uh, because yeah, we, we have to stand for truth and righteousness. That's one of the Abrahamic gifts to to do that, even um, uh, when we know that the consequences might not go in our favor, kind of thing. Yeah, thank you, Cameron. You have a comment in the chat. 
Oh, sorry, I forgot to even look over there. Um, so uh, Jacob says that he told an interesting story about Elder Scott was made an apostle. The candor and directness of the discussion was so intimidating that Elder Scott avoided making a comment for the first three months. During one of the early meetings, the intensity of the discussion was higher than normal and a fellow apostle passed him a note saying, welcome to the quorum, we play hardball here. I did try to ascertain what things they disagreed on. The best I got was um, things that concern the membership of the church um, and he being Elder Bednar. Uh, that's a great, I, I've been looking for that. Uh, oh my gosh. There. Will you post that on, I want a copy of that. Will you put that on your um, website or whatever? Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. It's great. I love studying in a group because everybody has like different links and things and they can find things a lot quicker than I can. That, yeah, uh, that's I'm cool. We're glad to have that. I've been looking for that for like a couple of years now. <laughs> um, but yeah. Um, let's dive into dreams. <laughs> this is the place that we didn't go in, in group A, but I, I think that um, the, the aspect of dreams throughout the whole Abraham story is very intriguing. Um, there's many people receiving dreams, both Abraham and Pharaoh in this circumstance, and, and later on there's, there's more. So why do you think that God communicates to some through dreams? And why, uh, why do we even have dreams? Are they significant? Should they ever be interpreted? Uh, there's just so much there that um, I, I'm just starting to uh, study and come to realize and, and things. I'd just like to know anyone else's thoughts and, and perceptions on, on that. Sometimes we get ourselves so busy that that's the only time he can talk to us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And our subconscious actually is um, in tune or our unconscious or whatever it is, mm -hmm. um, is aware. And we, um, things are very symbolic in the dreams and can teach us some great things. So um, yeah, our body, our cells of our body knows truth and sometimes our brain is so distracted and hears the other things so mm -hmm. yeah um so here we have um the the first dream in this chapter is about the the cedar and the date palm and um abraham has this uh dream about their their journey into egypt and their, their faithfulness there uh, lots of different things but i find it interesting that the on page 110 it, it ventures into the tree described by ezekiel and, and he had this vision of this tree uh, as well uh, i teach a class on daniel on, on thursdays and nebuchadnezzar also had his famous dream but uh, also a, a dream about this tree of shade and and birds perching in it and, and things um it just makes me wonder how many people have, have seen this. Uh, he calls it the cosmic tree, but the, the, the main tree, the, the tree uh, of life, the, the tree of, of all the earth. Uh, it seems very interesting that, that many people are receiving this dream about this, this specific tree. Um, I've just been kind of diving into uh, uh, Mary Jane Woodger's 
stories and commentary and research on dreams and, and stuff. And I find it very interesting. She does an education week class on it and, and a, a book, Dreams as Revelation. Um, but I, I find that uh, my dreams are, are definitely amping up and uh, needing interpreted uh, frequently lately. And, and it's a huge um, spiritual gift for, for me. I, I, I don't know everybody else's experiences with dreams and stuff, but for me, uh, for some reason, that's, that's a way that the Lord really communicates uh, with me and, and, and helps me to understand and unpack uh, my missions in life and, and things I need to be doing. Um, it, this, this class that we're having came to me as a dream, actually, and um, acting upon it and, and things that is very interesting. I, I find the whole dream uh, concept um, very new to me uh, this last year, yet um, now that I'm, I'm there, it, it seems just kind of second nature. I, I, I just really resonate with that principle. Um, let's see. So let's, let's dive into to Sarah and just all about her. Um, we have lots of different, um, tidbits into her character, her strength, her beauty, um, lots of different things about Sarah. What did you all learn uh, about her? How did you connect with her more fully this week, uh, through reading, uh, this chapter? I really had not thought as much about Sarah in the past as I have since I've started reading this book. And I think the strength she had was definitely unreal. And her trial, wow. And yet all the way through, she was willing to follow Abraham. When he had his dream and he said, you know, Sam, you're, you're my sister and you are my sister. But, uh, and, and hiding in the chest, something I'd never heard before, thought that was quite amazing. Um, and it must, that test must have been about the most horrid thing that she could have experienced, you know, to have felt that this was going to happen and there was nothing she could do to change it. That, that sounds like the most awful thing that could happen to a woman. And yet I'm sure she was praying and Abraham was praying and everybody was praying and I think that the whole thing had to make her extremely strong even though she was strong before she had to be strong to be following Abraham all those years and uh, go through him with through through the famines and through everything with him but she was had to be even extra strong when she saw the Lord step in in her benefit and that's exactly what he did. He stepped in in her benefit and and saved her. Mm -hmm. Cameron, do we have any idea what the age difference is between Abraham and Sarah? Oh, it seems, I don't have it on the tip of my tongue, but it seems like um, that was mentioned in the first or second chapter um, when she might have been at the, the sacrifice where he was on the altar kind of thing. It seems like it mentioned something about the age possibilities there. I, I don't think we know for sure. but um. Because according to the chronology in the beginning of this book, 
Abraham is between 62 and 86. They don't know exactly when, you know, there's all these things between mm -hmm. 62 and 86 when they go to Egypt. And if she's anywhere close to his age, for her to be the most beautiful in the land in her 60s. <laughs> That's an interesting point there. Okay, I mean, think about that, right? As, as someone who is on the other side of 50, you know, I, I'm very aware of all of the things, you know, once you're past 50. Um, you know, yeah, like trying to climb into a chest and hide <laughs> in there and then arise out and still look gorgeous and, and graceful and, and not be going, oh my gosh, uh, ow, 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 my back hurts, my shoulder hurts, my whatever. And she had a much harder life than we do. So, you know, was she a lot younger than Abraham or were they close to the same age? That's a very intriguing point there. In our other group, we talked about how they had, just, I mean, they're still coming from a famine stricken land, you know, like, how could she be hungry and, and through all of the stress of moving and migrating and stuff and still being beautiful coming up out of the chest, but I didn't factor into the, the age part of it. Uh, that's an interesting uh, paradigm to, to throw in there as well. Like, holy cow. Their, their age was different. They, they were still, they still lived longer back then. So maybe even 60 wasn't that old then. I don't know. Well, you know, I'm just thinking if, if she's, even if she's 60 or 70, right? What is it about a 60 or a 70 year old woman that Pharaoh would have been finding so alluring that he had to bring her to the palace? I mean, I could understand if she was 20. You know, mm -hmm. even 25, but 60. <laughs> and, and, I, and I don't think Sarah was only 25. You know, that, that was just always something that kind of stuck in my head about that age thing. I'm like, how old was she? Mm -hmm. It just didn't, you know, I always thought Abraham and Sarah were a lot younger when they went to Egypt because of that. Mm -hmm. So yes. anyway, I didn't know if you had I'm going to look up throughout this book and try to kind of pinpoint uh, a better idea. I know that when she passes away uh, there in like chapter 11 or 12 or something, um, that it, it might also give kind of a clue as to the, the difference of age between them two. I don't know. I'm going to study that up this week. That's a, a good one. When Abraham lived to like, what, what 100 and, 175, mm -hmm. and he was 137 when Sarah died. Mm, yeah. Are, aren't we given... Abraham and Sarah's age when Isaac's born kind of seems like it. Well, Sarah was 100 because she was 99 when they came and told her, you're going to have a baby, right? And she just <laughs> laughed at him. <laughs> I've been waiting for this for almost 100 years. Are you kidding? <laughs> so to me, to me that, you know, if, if they lived so much longer and they had such a longer life expectancy and and you know 60 was nothing that i don't think that she would have felt as much of like hey i've been waiting for this for 100 years it's you know i'm well beyond that point mm -hmm. and and um i don't think she would have been had that kind of attitude if if, mm -hmm. if it was that different so uh, you know all the pictures we ever saw growing up had this very frail elderly 99 year old you know oh i know woman. I know. Y you know, 
yeah. you know, that, that you know could not keep up with a two-year, a toddler or anything like that, you know, <laughs> Isaac was, and I, I just watched two of my grandchildren today, and, and trust me, it's hard enough at my age, I wouldn't try to do it at almost double, so um, it, it, it just, some of those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they're very interesting insights to, to, to think about and, and things, but yeah, like, like you said with Farrell, like, yeah, I can see like a, a hot young 20 year old, whatever. But like, yeah. I mean, if she's even at all older uh, here, like what was so desirable that she was so beautiful? Like, I am so excited to meet Sarah one day and, and behold her, her beauty and like, oh, you are a bombshell there. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, even if she was in her 40s, Right. Mm-hmm. If if Abraham was in between 60 and 80 in this time. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when a couple of things, you know, so maybe he was about 68. Right. If she was 20 years younger than him. Then that would have put her at 48, even 48. Whoa. Mm-hmm. It, it just doesn't it does not compute. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah. At 48, she still would have not been halfway through her life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think um, because they lived longer, there was, maybe they didn't age as quickly. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm acquainted with some women that are approaching 70 that are just stunning. They mm-hmm. take good care of their bodies and um, naturally beautiful and elegant and so I don't know that it's that off, you know what I'm saying? But mm-hmm. if they lived that much longer, I think their bodies didn't age um, at the same pace as we do for some reason, it, you know? So um, anyway. Um, let's see. <laughs> My husband says they only ate organic food. It had been actually. No GMOs. Yeah, our our preservatives and the junk we have is very toxic and yeah, you know, so a lot less sugar. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I like the cut. The um, Jacob had another comment. <laughs> I, I agree. Oh. Look at President Nelson; he seems to be getting younger. Absolutely. Yeah, that's so true. (laughs) I I think I think he's working on being translated personally. Yeah, I I think so too. Because that seems to be the the pattern. Anyone that's translated, they're always mentioned as looking younger, more healthy. Uh, It starts reversing after a time. And I think that that's probably a good uh, candidate for most of these ancient patriarchs that that at a time when they, they arrive at at some of those blessings of the Abrahamic covenant of, of translation and, and things that, that it actually starts reversing, maybe. I don't know. We'll, we'll find out when we get there. <laughs> I, not to be too tongue in cheek, but um, there, you know, there's some members from, from this group B or whatever that we haven't seen for a few weeks or whatever. And I was thinking about emailing them today or whatever. I'm like, um, did you guys get translated? Because like, I haven't seen you for a while. <laughs> and if so, how did you do it? Because I think you need to come back and explain it to us. <laughs> Help out the rest of us. Huh? <laughs> and then you run into like the parable of the dragonfly. Have you heard about that? I have not. Somebody, somebody talked, um, brought it up in a sacrament meeting 
and he talked about how the um the bugs down in the water you know they were all great and they all talked about these you know the anytime somebody went to the surface they disappeared and they never came back and they they didn't come back and they didn't know you know what happened and it was really scary when you found yourself being pulled to the surface right and what was happening is they would go to the surface and they would change and they would open their wings and they would turn into a dragonfly and they would fly away but they couldn't come back and tell the the um bugs in the bottom of the water because the dragonfly can't go back to the water mm -hmm. the dragonfly has been changed and they have changed so much that they cannot go back and so they can't go back and say hey this is this is what's coming for you look just keep coming along they just have to be able to find their own path and oh. it was just uh, i did a really botched up job of telling you about it but it, it's um it's really cool yeah that's a very interesting concept and stuff i haven't ever heard that before and you're talking about that in sacrament meeting or, or somebody told the story in sacrament meeting i took notes i'm looking for my notes yeah um because i was sitting there frantically with my thumbs you know doing <laughs> one of these things um to get the to get the notes from the talk mm -hmm. the, uh, the lessons of the the dragonfly so um I'm trying to think if I, I don't see where I have it Google. written. Yeah, you can Google it and find it. But mm -hmm. the lessons are we cannot change unless we aspire to greater things. Once changed, we cannot go back. Mm -hmm. Even if I go back, they will no longer recognize me in my current form. And so mm -hmm. they wouldn't recognize them, right? So we don't just learn something new, we become something different. And once we change, we're no longer comfortable in our old areas and around our old friends. And, um, you know, so then how do we relate to those? What do I do? I grew out of them. I'm grateful for them. What can I do for them? You know, strive to be an example, that kind of thing. But, um, you know, you can't, um, you can't go back because you have changed. Mm -hmm. So anyway, no, I know it was a off topic kind of thing, but. Uh-huh. Yeah, I really like it and, and how it ties into Abraham. You know, some of his tests were to, to flee certain places at certain times and, and never go back. Like he never went back to Ur. He never um, went and visited his childhood home and, and take Isaac there and look at where I was sacrificed on an altar kind of thing. Like he, he just, he keeps pressing forward and, and moving on. Um, I think it's a great uh, metaphor, analogy, parable, whatever you'd like to call it to, um, to do that. I think that there's some different little tweaks and stuff that can be uh, said for, for translation because they, they do kind of come back and, and help and, and things. Um, but but kind of a metaphor for, for death and uh, how when we move on, we don't come back in our, our same form. And we're, I mean, it's life is just never the same, but that there's interesting dynamics there. I love it. Um, let's see. Let's talk about so yeah let's talk about um pharaoh and and where sarai was brought in um I, I think it's interesting to note there on page 116 that um that abraham where does it say that this is from 
let's see. This is from the Genesis, Genesis Apocryphon. Um, uh, he kind of is a, a first person account of how he's weeping for the situation and um, asking, uh, now I lodge my complaint to you, my Lord, against Pharaoh Zoan, the king of Egypt, because my wife has been taken from me by force. Meet out justice for him for me and show forth your great hand against him and against all his house. May he not be able to defile my wife tonight, that it may be known about you, my Lord, that you are the Lord of all the kings of earth. And I wept and talked to no one. I think I've got such a poignant uh, insight into his character there. And it might possibly be alluding to the fact that he has the sealing power because he he's pulling down a, a covenantal curse upon Pharaoh. Um, and, and we know that that's, that's part of the, the ceiling power. It, it's possible that, that he has that at this point. And um, later on, it, in complete reversal, he, when Pharaoh has his dream, that he, Abraham, is able to go and then bless him, remove the evil spirits, the plagues and, and things that are afflicting him in his household for, for years. And... Um, uh, where he could have just let those lie and, and let Pharaoh succumb to, to those uh, things that um, that he had prayed to, to come upon them. I think that that's a very interesting a tidbit that we don't get anywhere else except through uh, some of these um, apocryphal uh, things that are coming to light in, in these uh, last few years. Uh, we're having such great insights into to Abraham and his character and and some of these firsthand experiences they had. Um, I think it's awesome that, that Abraham is really kind of the, the father of, of the Egyptian learning. Uh, he's introducing them to arithmetic and astronomy, to uh, the sciences and arts, and that just what a great benefit he is because he has a connection to, to heaven. He's able to pull down that power, that knowledge and everything and bless those around him wherever he goes. Um, interesting to note that uh, all of the major patriarchs or, or figures that do go to Egypt are, are blessing Egypt in return for their um, saving them, for their protection, etc., with knowledge and wisdom and, and things. Um, we have uh, Joseph and, and um, throughout the, the Israelite history and Christ and Abraham, like. I don't know. There's a lot of connections. It's always the, the same play, but different actors uh, each time that, that this production is put on. That we're they're always going down to Egypt for, for refuge from, from a famine or from danger or pestilence. And, and yet, um, through their, their faithfulness, they're able to, to pull down those things that can actually bless Egypt and um, kind of return the favor kind of thing. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm talking too much, but uh, just any kind of closing thoughts that anybody would like to share about uh, things in, in the chapter that we haven't um, seen or talked about yet? Anything? Well, you know, when you just were talking about that, when I read that about the astronomy and the math and things like that, it just kind of hit me that, okay, as the world sees it, Egypt was the higher society they were the ones that had all this knowledge and yet where did it really come from from the lord through the patriarchs and uh, the world would never give that credit but it's mm -hmm. obvious where it came from 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Cameron, part of the uh, thing of Abraham was that he lived by the patriarchal order. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a very interesting thing to follow. I recently saw a video put out, uh, was one of those devotionals. It was Victor L. Brown. Okay. Uh, he gave a, a BYU devotional in 1977. Uh, it's called the Patriarchal Order. And it is a very interesting uh, talk uh, that helps you to understand a little bit about how far back the patriarchal order goes and the uh, interaction that it has with everything that the Lord and Father in Heaven have put together. Mm -hmm. The patriarchal order is the order by which God rules in the heavens. So it's a, I would encourage those when they have an opportunity to look at it, it's a 35 minute video. And if you like giggling at 70s apparel, you'll, you'll, you'll get that. Uh, and as a caveat, you also get a, a, a glimpse at um, Dallin H. Oaks when he still had some hair. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love that. What is the name of that and what um, year? 1977. Um, I think it's in June, but it's uh, it was right after, according to, he says something in the, in the, his talk about being the day after 4th of July. So I think it's in July of 1977. Victor L. Brown. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Jacob posted a link to it. He found it um, oh. in the chat here, and, and I'll put it on the, the website as well. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I, I have not heard that one. I, I'm excited to go and read that one. But yeah, I, I find that the, the patriarchal order is is huge into really everything, and yet we kind of know nothing about it, or, or those that do don't really share it very often. Uh, this is a chart from an Education Week class that I took a couple years ago. Um, I believe this is C. Robert Line. I, I might be wrong on, on the actual class there, but yeah. it talks about how all priesthood is Melchizedek. Sorry, Mom, were you going to say something? It, it was C. C. Robert Line. Yeah. Um, but he said that there's three orders of the priesthood. So we have the Aaronic order, Melchizedek order, and the Patriarchal order. Um, they're often called um, kind of by their titles, the lesser priesthood, the higher priesthood, and the fullness of the priesthood. Um, uh, other names for them, the new and everlasting covenant of marriage is the patriarchal order kind of thing. Um, but that we enter into the patriarchal order at the, the ceiling altar. Um, and and that, um, uh, that men grow up in the priesthood by, by needing the, the lesser uh, Levitical order and the, the Melchizedek order before they, they enter into the patriarchal order. Yet women get speed tracked right through it. Uh, they don't need the, the same prerequisites that, that men have, but um, that they we, we both enter into it at, at the ceiling altar there. It was a very interesting class on, on the orders of the priesthood there. Um, but I'm excited to go to, to Victor Brown's and, and study that as well. Can you post that on the website? Cameron. Uh-huh. Yep. Okay. Sure. Um, 
And then if anybody wants any more information, these are all different things that are popping into my mind, but um, Barbara Morgan Gardner's uh, book about women in the priesthood uh, delves into it extensively. Uh, Wendy Ulrich's uh, book, uh, I think it's Living Up to Your Privileges. I can't remember the title of it. That one's a I think that's right. Yeah. Um, and then, oh, what was it? Sherry Dew wrote a book on women in the priesthood and she just released an updated version because I listened to the audio of the old one. I can't wait to listen to the updated one. You know, yeah, now that yeah. ministering has been changed and so many things have changed since when she wrote it before. Yeah, I'm excited to dive into that one too. Um, seemed like there was another one, but I'm, I'm missing it. But anyway, um, C. Robert Lines uh, has a book uh, specifically on, uh, on that as well. Um, uh, the Endowed from on high, I believe it's called. I don't know. I'll post a link to, to all of those books that I mentioned uh, so that we can get those. But um, yeah, I, I think it's super important. Thanks for, for bringing that up, Scott, about the, the patriarchal order, because that's that's huge into understanding the, um, the Abraham story, because that patriarchal order is how they really access those blessings and those, those higher things. And in the restoration of the fullness of times, we are seeing the, the patriarchal order restored. And, and sometimes we, we don't really necessarily dive into it as much. Uh, C. Robert Lyne, I believe, also talked about the offices in the patriarchal order, how mother and father, uh, grandmother, grandfather are our actual offices. And, and as we uh, climb Jacob's ladder, we, we start receiving more and uh, responsibilities and things uh, throughout those. Anyway. <laughs> Yeah, I love all of the, the different comments and insights and, and different paradigms that people bring to this. Um, yeah, anything else before we close out for the night? Sorry, I went a little bit over. Um, for our homework next time, uh, we're starting to dive into the land of Canaan and uh, some different areas that he's going around to. And so I would highly encourage um, uh, a study this week on two places in particular um, to do a gospel library or look on the church website uh, for these two places and all of the major things that occurred at them. Uh, the first being Bethel and the second being Shechem. Um, those are, are really intriguing. All of the different uh, points of Israelite history that happen at these two places, uh, I think your, your study will be greatly enriched by studying those and then tying them to the Abraham story, kind of where it all began here. So Bethel, uh, meaning the house of the Lord, or house of God, sorry. And then Shechem. Uh, uh, very interesting how that ties in uh, both then and now. Uh, Shechem is a huge one. And so um, as we, we dive Shechem in. Shechem for us. Uh-huh, Shechem is S-H-E-C-H-E-M. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll type that in here as well. So I don't forget it. Um, but yeah, uh, interesting to, to note that that's where Joseph, um, he wanted his bones brought back out of Egypt and into the promised land. And that's where they ended up was in Shechem. Uh, anyway, studying lots of those uh, different tidbits and, and things about Bethel and Shechem are, are huge. And so we'll, we'll, we'll spend the first um, bit of class next time uh, kind of reviewing some of those important things that happen at those two places 
there's there's more places uh, obviously in this chapter but um those are two that i i really resonate with and i think that they'll enlighten us as uh, symbolic for for both then and now and, and everything in between um and then a question to keep in mind uh, uh introspective question throughout the whole chapter six is um find out who is fighting your battles for you um keep that that question in your mind as you're reading and and see how that plays out with Abraham and, and then how it plays out with, with your story. Who is fighting your battles? And um, anyway, yeah, I hope that these homework assignments aren't too daunting and intimidating, but um, I, I don't mean them to be homework assignments. That's just the best word I, I, I find <laughs> to, to give invitations, to, to study a little deeper. Uh, I don't uh, intend them to discourage anybody from, <laughs> from coming to class, etc. Suggested um, supplemental reading and study. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> They're just footnotes <laughs> is all. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, if nobody has anything else, we'll, we'll go ahead and disband for the night. But, but yeah, thank you so much for, for popping on. And um, also a common question that I keep getting asked all the time is, uh, can we swap classes if we can't make it one night or whatever yes by by all means you can attend any of the other hours that this is offered uh, sundays at 6 p.m uh, sundays at 8 p.m and tuesdays at 9 p.m um you're more than welcome to invite other people that, that are awake and uh, wanting to, to know more about abraham if they haven't read the book that that's fine uh, you know bring them in we're we're more than excited to to have them um yeah, another thing um, is that uh, I am recording uh, the sessions, but I'm not really sharing them until the whole class is over because I still want people to, to come and participate. You know, it, we see that we're kind of dwindling in numbers as, as the weeks go on, and I don't want it to just be kind of an excuse to um, not come and, and participate in class. I hope that we all can, can still do that. And then afterwards if you need to go back and review a week or if you missed a week or whatever i will have some of those available i only started doing that with chapter two so uh, chapters one and, and the preface and everything are you know you'll just have to go back and review those but um anyway i i won't be uh, sharing those those links or anything until um after we are, we're finished with the book but anyway uh hope everyone is benefiting as much as I am from this. I, I find it so intriguing to, to learn with everybody and, and so grateful for your insights and participation. It, it's so helpful. Love it. Um, but yeah. Thank you, Cameron. Yep, for sure. <laughs> all right. We'll see you all next week. I appreciate all your work. Thanks.